these and I promised someone a gift. Okay. Uh, gentlemen, it's the final countdown. I have four shroom left. I'll, I appreciate your attendance very much because it's been a very hard year teaching. I just had, again, I've spoken with David already three, four times about it. The boys are overwhelmed by uh, your idea, and I can see why. It doesn't surprise me because uh, you're so used to learning in English, and it's a, it's, a, it's a tragedy. You know, I don't know what to say. It's a tragedy. The, uh, I don't want to mention names. I just wanted the best boys in the cola looking at a Mishnah Brewer in English. You understand? When you got to look at a Mishnah Brewer in English... It's the end of the world. And a Hasidic Shtibble in Park, I see them learning Mishnah Brewer in English. You know, they're never gonna, you're never going to learn how to learn. And I thank God I was born before Matan Torah. You understand? Thank God I was born before Ratzko. I read Hebrew quicker than I read English. And I understand Rabbinic Hebrew better than I understand Shakespeare. Okay? So Baruch Hashem. My wife always loved the story. When I went to the army and they do the test with the language, you know, I'm an Olech Adash, so I get a hundred. And the little girl who gave me the test, you know, a little Israeli girl of Pekidar, a sergeant in the army, she looks at me, she says, you have such a, a pronounced American accent. She said, no Israeli gets a hundred. So I told the girl, I said, I've read more Hebrew than English since I'm 13. She looked at me like I stepped off the moon. But you know, but you grew up in New York. You came in Aliyah, you were 30, 31, whatever it was. Go and explain to her what I was talking about. So um, everyone's overwhelmed and I appreciate you coming. Now, I delineated the Shayurim. And uh, we have some very, very exciting shurim, but let me begin. Today I want to finish up Simanim, and I want to deal with photography. Now, uh, also, Jack, I'm going to ask you a special favor. See that I end the quarter to seven pronto and remind me that I didn't have a mincha, because uh, BMT, I came in the expectations that BMT was here today, and uh, I walked into Daven Mincha Vahabarek. There was no one here to Daven. They explained to me that they had the day off. So I have to catch Mincher and uh, give up Mordechai. It's not, don't misunderstand, I'm not a Chiyuv, but I have a, you know, I like to dab with a minion, let's put it that way. Um, now, uh, you, you see what, what the Bissel Khanim did here, again, is revolutionary. He took Simonim Gruim, and, and there's only one way to understand it, and it all goes back to what I've been saying months ago, and it's unlike any other halacha concept that I know of where the whole psaac is based upon guesswork. whole psaac is based upon guesswork. Uh, circumstantial evidence. It's not like any other shayla, because you see, you can say to me, I, when one piece of meat gets up with a hundred, gets mixed up with ten pieces of meat. You know, the classic example, you're walking along. But you're right, there it's guesswork too. But there, at least you know you found the piece of meat, and you know whether it's kavur, kamachsa, machsadami, whether it's parish, what the city, the majority of you know the facts. You don't know what that piece of meat is. But you at least know all the facts. And there's the halachic way to handle it. It doesn't depend upon circumstantial evidence. There's a halachic way to handle it. See, when, when I was a kid, not so much difficulty theoretically understanding this. Because, you know, the Rav, I, I told you, the Rav, one thing I learned from Rebbe, and if you want to compliment me, there's one compliment you can give me. 
when I give a Shia, I block out the whole world. And sometimes there's been a, a lot of pressure on me, particularly this last few years with, with again, I'm going to get the pages by Wednesday. They're going out Monday to every day. Shavstein is my, he loves me. He calls me long distance every day. Uh, and it's just unbelievable because they, every day he's repeating the same thing he did the day before. He says his typeset is driving him crazy. It's unbelievable. It's, uh, and by the way, the Hebrew, I was right. The typesetter does not know Hebrew. He says he recognizes, there must be a Japanese genius who puts it into the computer and he recognizes, but he doesn't understand your corrections when you write it in the Tavyad. He admitted to me, doesn't know Hebrew, so I was right, and I, I guess correctly. So, I block out the whole world. The Rav, as busy as he was, and you know, the Rav was the Rav. And a whole world rested on his shoulders. As you'll see next week in class, I have something planned to give you one other side of the Rav that I can't give you. Uh, and the RCA side. But there were strict instructions. He's never to be bothered in class. As you can imagine, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and then the important reasons they want to contact the Rev, right? There can be a million one reasons, but if you would start bothering him, he could never give sheer. So he was totally, totally, when he said sheer, he was totally immersed in the sheer. Everything was blacked out. One time, and David, you can check, see if Abba, see if Rabranspiel, I don't want to make you feel, but see if Abba has my memory. One time, they knock on the door, and Mr. Abrams, who was afraid of nobody, we used to call him the little Jap, you all know, the legendary Mr. Abrams, he was all of 411. He was the administrator, he ran the yeshiva, the kids used to shake, sit of him, you know. And the little Jap is pale like a ghost, we can see he's shaking, he says, Rabbi Salavechik, there's an emergency. And the Rev was called out of class. Rev comes back about 10 minutes later. And he's boasting a little about his ability to paskin a shaylah. He says, I love that. He says, Asachken, you know, a lot of people know the sources, but you got to know where to go to. You know, he said, Ameritik Vat. Now, you can know all of Shulchan Aruch by heart, but when you get the shaylah, you got to know right where to go. And he told us what had happened. In the slaughterhouse, under his supervision, one of the children, because there's, you see, it's a very misleading concept. I'm sure you know what I'm about to say. There's no such thing as a kosher slaughterhouse. There's no such thing. A slaughterhouse is a slaughterhouse. Some of the animals are trapped, some are kosher. In America, all slaughtering is done, they rent space in big slaughterhouses. So they have kosher slaughtering. When they do kosher slaughtering, generally speaking today, all slaughtering in America is glad. It doesn't pay for them when they get a shyla to start playing with the sikh or the lungs. It doesn't pay. Time is money in America. So all you do is you move the animal over to the trafe side. You understand? It's a trafe slaughter. The slaughter has to begin with for Goyim too. So the Goyim will take it. What's the big deal? If the Goyim get an animal, instead of being shot in the head or being the head being blown off by a hatchet or being electrocuted, so they get an animal that was slaughtered, but it was trafe or there was something wrong with the shrita. It was an avela. Understand? The guy can eat it or an avela and trafe. So the Rav got a call in the slaughterhouse under his supervision animal that was treif, sikh, whatever it was, the lungs, whatever they found, pushed into the treif pile, the animal wound up in the kosher pile again, and by now they had slaughtered hundreds of kosher animals. And among those kosher animals is a treif animal. This is exactly what you're dealing with in your day now, lach balach. 
And the Rav paskind lahalachol And I remember he said, I knew he showed us whatever it was. I can't say in the Sugi now that I can quote from Yerodeya so easily because basically the parts of Yerodeya I never came back to again after I finished Yerodeya. You know, Basavachalav, Meila, Tarovat, over the years I came back and forth a lot. But this, this question never came up again in my life. And uh, the Rav came back and he was uh, all happy and a little bit boastful, he says, I knew where to go. And he showed us the halach and he was matir. And then I was a kid and it bothered me, you understand, a thousand animals are now going to go out of that slaughterhouse. Out of those thousand animals, they're going to make tens of thousands of pounds of meat. And in that meat is treif meat. But that's the halacha. It's batel. It's like soup. Uh, a few drops of milk fall into chicken soup. If you're paskin, it's mutter, it's mutter. Okay, that's the halacha. So, it always bothered me as a kid. It took me a long time to understand that treif is not that there's treif. Treif means can you eat it, can't you eat it. There are all types of halachas. You take a pill. You take a pill. Most pills are coated by gelatin capsules. Gelatin is treif. Gelatin hides, behemoths, who knows what else they make it. But you're allowed to swallow the pill. That's not considered a, an Israchil. You understand? It's, 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 uh, you have to have a feeling for the halacha. This is not achila. It's not that you can't eat a You can't eat a pig in the halachic way that's considered eating. But, it, but if you swallow a capsule, a pill, that's not considered eating. So that's, a, you see, that's halacha. We know, we have, there is, we can deal with it. This piece of meat was found. All right, we'll never know. Was it treif? Was it kosher? But now it doesn't matter because we paskined on the basis of the halacha. Here with the dead body, we'll never know for sure. The man disappeared. It's circumstantial evidence. We're never going to have a total identity. It's before DNA tests. And it's amazing. And what Rabbi Yitzchokhanen did is he didn't dismiss the simanim gruim. And he said, if you have enough of them, and I don't know, Jack, whether you really need two or more, because, you know, he never itemizes two. He says, if you have a few, a few can be two, three, four. I'll show you his words. But what you have to be able to do is put it together. And what he talks about, for the sake of argument, you have a passport. The passport, again, you don't remember this, because today's passports have pictures I still remember when you went for a passport, they asked you your height. Your weight. Do you remember that, Jack? Your height, weight, color of eyes, color of hair. I still remember. If I dig out some of my old, old passports, I probably can find passports with all that information in the passport. You understand? Nowadays, they don't ask you one word. Yeah, I had to fill it in today. Nowadays. But I... No, it's not written on the passport. Maybe they keep it on their file. But nowadays I know it's not on your passport. I remember yet when it was on your passport. Height, weight. Again, you know, weight can change. But basically, a person basically holds on to his weight throughout life. Unless you go on a, you know, a, a diet and, and, you lear- and you learn how to you retrain yourself. The whole problem, I don't go into details now. See, a diet is meaningless if you don't retrain your eating habits. If you retrain your eating habits, then a diet is, is, is going to less. But otherwise, you're going to die. They, they, they make a fortune of fools. I mean, Danny Abrahams, uh, it came today, the talk Mordechai had of running, he didn't succeed. But he only, they only want Barak. It's unbelievable, this Barak. It's just unbelievable how some Orthodox Jews, just the Pied Piper blows and they follow and, you know, enlightened. And it's just unbelievable to me. They're running to third. They're going to be thrown out. 
I want, you know, in the talk I gave in Jeremacho, in the original talk in my mind, it was going to say, when the throw comes into third, Ravami Tal will be out at third, and Michael Melchior is going to be out at second. You follow me? Double play. But I didn't want to mention names. You know why? Because someone gave me a tape of made in 96, a very important tape. So someone, by accident, it came back to me, the t- tape for 2025. So I listened to the tape, and it's a, it's a wonderful tape. It is the wonderful tape for 2025. But in the tape, I'm cal- cursing out Shas. In 2025, a person's going to listen to that tape and say, boy, this Rakevet was a moron. What does he have against Shas? He doesn't know what Shas was in 1996. I made a point there, which is valid, 1996. So I'm going to make a tape. I'm Tal out at third. Melky, a first to second. Person hearing the tape 20 years from now. Boy, this, this man knows baseball. But what the hell is he talking about? So, so Danny Aitens came. How did Danny Aitens become, become a multi-multi-millionaire? I told this kid here in BMT, go dream that his father will own the world. Slim food. You understand what, what, what they go, jerks eat, become fat, then they work on you, you got to become skinny, you're going to have heart trouble, you're going to have this, they're right, but they don't tell you that it's not the slim food, it's rethinking food eating habits, so, but anyway, coming back to the passport, fat, skinny, color of hair, color of eyes, height, these are simonum gruim. But number one, if they find a passport with your name, that itself, and remind, remind you, these are passports before pictures. That, and it's an internal passport. It doesn't mean a passport as you know it. It's an identity document. But this is before, uh, like a two-dot-say-hood, exactly. In Russia, when I, I don't know today in Russia, but under the communist era, any time you would walk around without your identity document, if they wanted to arrest you, it gave them an excuse. You understand? It, it's a, it was a form of government control. So, number one, people don't lend out a passport, so they found it with your name. And number two, you had the description, which they testified, that's what that body looked like. And it's up to the, up to the post-sec. Now, the last thing we spoke about was a case with the Tata, with, with, with the sick person, with Shmuel Epstein. I'll tell you what's funny. Someone called me uh, uh, and visited and regards, and one of the names that came up in the conversation was Shmuel Epstein. So I said, Shmuel Epstein, I just spoke about a Shmuel Epstein in class at Shuvah Rabbi Yitzchokhanen. Now, what Rabbi Yitzchokhanen did here, he spelled out Halachal in one of in in one of his earliest svarim, where he deals with it, and it's a very, very interesting way he deals with it, Nachal Yitzchak. Nachal um, Yitzchak. I just want to check. I believe it's Chelak Aleph. But one second. Uh, uh, oh, I, I see. In the Nachal Yitzchak. It's in its Chidushim Tachoshin Mishpat. In the Nachal Yitzchak, and it's in Simon Samachay. Samachay in uh, in the in, in the Nachal Yitzchak. And he's dealing here. He has uh, he has here a whole countries on on Simanim. Uh, in, in the Nachal Yitzchak. And he's, he's dealing here with, uh, with Simanim, with Hashavat Aveda, and he's dealing here with Simanim Beinoniyim and Emtsayim, and, and going into great detail. And here, in Anap 7, the seventh subdivision, he gets into this problem. And he says, he says, a number of terrible problems have come to my attention of Agunat, whose husbands disappeared and they found bodies and the only way we can possibly be mutter these women to remarry 
is by the passport, the internal passport that was found on the bodies. And he says, what do you have in the passport? You have uh, the description of the individual, everything we've been speaking about. And he says as follows, he says, Halacha Lemaisa. Number one, nobody lends out a passport. A passport is a very personal document. You're not going to lend a passport, you're not going to lend a driver's license. There's certain things you're not going to, generally speaking, again, uh, if, if, if uh, visas would come with pictures, which we may have, I think they already have the technology, I read about it, they started it already, which you can understand, you know, with, with all the visas that are stolen, you know, here in Israel, they're not makped. Uh, they take the visa and run it through. In America, it's always amazing to me how they don't give you back your visa till you sign. And then they compare the signature. You know, I never yet happened to me in Israel that they should do that. But in America, so you can imagine how many visas, how many cards are stolen, MasterCards, Visa cards, what goes on in America. So they're very mock, but I couldn't understand why. They don't give you back your card right away. She waits, and then she looks, then I understood already what's happening. And I once had a terrible problem by accident. I took my wife's visa away, just gotten visas, and I and they take a look at the woman's name. You don't know what went on with, 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 with that case. They had to call him the manager. I showed them I'm the husband. I paid the bill. It's unbelievable, because generally speaking with a visa, you don't, uh, you don't uh, have to even sign for it to be valid. You just bought the thing. You bought it, you bought it. But, but you see, you're not going to lend something like that out. So the past certainly has to be a good simon. But in addition, this is Rabbi Zizchanan's tremendous heter, that he says, when you have a number of simonim gruim, they have to add up to at least a simon benoni, and if you have a lot of them, it can even be a simon mufak when you put it all together. And he says, this is up to re'ot enei ha'posek. And, and this is when it all said and done. You see, in Aguna, you're dealing here with detective work. So there's a lot involved. In other words, when, when this woman comes before the posek, you have to know right away, is she pious? Isn't she pious? Maybe she's here to fake you out. Uh, you understand, uh, I, I would say that if, if you know the woman is a Shomerit Mitzvah, the Medakdekdet in Tarat Mishpacha, and that she conducts herself properly, and you see she comes with sincerity and honesty, so you see, you don't have to be gracious that she's faking you out. But if, you see this, that's why you can't put down Klolem, this is so important in Psak, there has to be a gut reaction. It's like it's 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 like a date. It's like meeting someone when you're going out on a date. I can testify that Josh Muscat is happily married. I met him and his wife, and then they don't even know. I saw them walking much later, coming back, and I saw they were so happy talking to each other. It made my heart good that in this generation of so much rotten, terrible divorce that my own students in Madrash had fought with me that I came down too hard on the divorce. My parents did and one girl admitted to me, all her 23-year-old four sisters married, getting divorced, all their friends getting divorced. She said, you know, Rebbe, you're right. Suddenly it dawned upon I'm saying something correct. So in this stage and age, it made me happy that Josh, that Josh um, Muscat has achieved what in my generation was taken for granted. In your generation, you have to give the guy 49 salutes when he achieves it. Uh... Gershon, everything is waiting for you. After Shia, there's the man. So, um, uh, Baruch Hashem, without Jack, I cannot function. He spreads my Torah and he helps me immeasurably. It's up to the post's sake. You have to have a feeling. 
Do you understand? You can. And and if the woman is a floozy and and she's a and and she's a woman's liber to the extent that she's boiling mad at what I spoke about in my husband for Joe DiMaggio, she curses out the rabbis. Yumach shmam v'zichram had the women. This is what I heard with my own ears. Had the women written the halacha, the halacha would have been different. The men would have needed to get, not give a get. They would be the agunim, not the agunat. You men destroyed it all. And then if that's the type of woman and she walks in and tells you a story, well, they found somebody in China. My husband was going to uh, to America, but maybe he went to China by mistake. They spent back a passport and this is a description. He's 5'9 and, and he has uh, brown hair and, and, and he wore glasses and, and he had a Jewish nose. Big deal. It's all Simon and Gruen. But if Taka, the woman is pious and the rabbi feels she's telling a true story and the man Taka went to London, that's what the Chochanan means. So, I have to correct myself. I don't want to say, tu simanim gruim, but I'll tell you this, that if you have a passport and you feel this woman is legitimate and you have tu simanim gruim, I think that the Rev would be able to be matir. And then he says, it's amazing that Rabbi Sulchana, now he's in enough chet. And he says, while I'm writing this, while I'm dealing with this, he says, I was just asked about an aguna that, that her husband went far away to a city to get a refuah, to a, you know, it's amazing too how they traveled, how the Jews had to travel. Again, I guess it was a primitive society and you had to go to really big cities for hospitals, maybe even today to a certain extent it's true. We're lucky we live in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or Haifa. I know that when the tragedy is up north, Lower Lenu, so if it's minor or in between, they go to Tzfat. But if it's major, they always go to Haifa. So it tells you something too, that the smaller hospitals are not prepared with the trauma units that they have in, let's say, Hadassah and Kerem or in Haifa General. So here, the guy went away, traveled far, and he died there, where he went for the refuah, wherever that hospital was. And now, she never got the body back, he was buried there, but they describe him, Simanim Gruim, Betoa Panav, Habe Panav Shkuim, Bechot Mobalek Biyotah, he had a big nose. All right, he had a big nose. Uh, I just read something that uh, someone made a comment uh, in the House of Representatives to some person that said, I have to leave for a Seder now, and some other representative said, you don't have a hook nose, you can't be Jewish. And it seems she said it as a joke. She apologized. The guy got offended. Believe me, I wouldn't get offended. Fine, I have a hook nose. All right, it's not a sin in Mufak. It's not a sin in in other words, he has, you know, beards vary. There are different types of beards. He has a small beard and it jumps out. You see people like that. Their beard jumps out like that. All right. I wouldn't exactly say this is more than a simon gurua. There are a million or one different beards in the world. And everyone grows a beard differently and our beards are not the same. In other words, what does it mean He's a brunette. For a woman, we would call her a brunette. I don't know if we use that term in relation to a man. But he's a brunette. How many brunettes are there in the world? His eyes are green. Most is hazel, green. A million and one people have green eyes. He, up front, he's already, his hair is thinning out. All right, we have in the colo guys who aren't even 30 yet that don't have any hair left that can use it to pay. Shmo David, very interesting. His name is David. No, I don't have to tell you. David is probably 
one of the most popular names among Jews. All right, David Bloom, Reb David Feinstein, Reb David Lifshitz, Rebani Shalalim, David, his name is David, his name is Aaron, his name is Yaakov. All right, Matthew, that already, this is the first Matthew I ever taught. In 40 years of teaching, I don't believe I ever taught a Matthew before. I understand your name is Mordechai, but, uh, but Matthew. All right, Matthew is Matthew. That's interesting. Now, watch this. And it, it, with the Israeli elections, boy, oh boy, this would be dynamite, Tiki Dayan. Whilst this man's profession was written down in his passport when he had entered the hospital, you know, all these concepts that he had to answer the questions, he sells uh, fruit in the shuk. And, and his father-in-law was a shoemaker. My dear friends, do you know how many Jews made a living out of selling peyrot in the shuk? You know how many Jews made a living out of being shoemakers? You don't remember Kiryat God. I still remember when Kiryat God was a little town. So I remember hearing the lecture there in 1969. All the Romanians wanted to Kiryat God. 90% of the Romanians were shoemakers. So suddenly in Kiryat God you had 20 shoemakers and 20 barbers. How can a little town support 20 shoemakers and 20 barbers? So how do we train them? So, alright. Everything you hear about now is Simonim Gruim. Simonim Gruim. But there are a lot of them. In other words, a lot of circumstantial evidence. Then comes along the only Simon Mufak. And what does this mean? That uh, the man had written down in his account book that his wife had given him six rubo before he went to Odessa to Levakesh uh, Refuato. Now, first of all, it's very interesting. What do we see from this? Women control the money. See, it's very interesting. All this talk about women's living feminism in a Jewish house, women control the money. Here you see it. The chiva doesn't lie. This is Mesich. This is a chiva. Mesicha Lefituma. In my house, my father got an allowance from my mother. That's what I... He made the money, gave it to her, got an allowance. And, and I understand it was that way with my grandparents. Uh, when we got married, I pleaded with my wife, you take charge of the money, it's not her bag, she doesn't know that two and two are four, she only graduated from us and Hunter College, so I have to run the money. That is terrible, because a wife is worse than a car. I understand our car actually is worse than a wife because a car, the old cars, not, not, not since I'm a Japanese, a Japanese car, I love my car more than my wife. Because, but the old cars were unbelievable. They always were breaking down, always asking for money. You could never say no, you wanted to drive. At least with the wife, you can say no finally. Honey, I don't have, I just don't have. But now my wife has overtaken the car because the car never asks for money. I've never had it since I drive a Japanese car since 86, 87. I've never had one second of trouble with any car I've driven. All Japanese is just unbelievable. The Japanese lost the war and conquered the world. And, uh, but, but a wife, when she starts asking, wow, you are in trouble. So, I'm in trouble. But most situations, it's the opposite. The woman controls the money. It's a merited shiva. Now, she gave him six rubles. In the book that the man had of his kashbanot, his uh, log, whatever it was, his diary, he kept the count of his money, we find that he wrote down that his wife gave him six rubles before he left for Odessa. What do you say, Josh? Simon Mufak. Absolutely. Simon Mufak. Okay. And they turn... Oh, you still have a cold. You still have a cold. Wow. 
Excuse me? Pneumonia. So you're taking antibiotics? Walking pneumonia. Uh, you should have a full shlema. Uh, you want to close the window? Yeah, whatever you want. Whatever is easier for, 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 for Josh. The, the muscat wine has to be fine. I only have to tell you, you may know, your first year, your first year in Israel is the worst. Are you aware of that? The first year in Israel is the worst because the body is not used to all the viruses and everything that happens here. So you should have a full shlema. Now, you see, this is unbelievable. All the other simonim, think for a minute. You get back a letter, all right, this man died, and this is what we found him, this is the description, this is the body. Or even if you get back the body, you can't identify the body, it's weeks after he died, the, the body's unidentifiable. But the description, all of you in this room, none two of you look alike. But there's no one here with such tremendous, so the simonim, I get back a letter, red hair, big deal. Black hair with a thick beard, a little beard, a trim beard. So what? It's a million and one people. But six ruble, that is a simon muvak. And he says, they plead with me, can we be mati of this woman? And he says, the question was very simple. There's only one simon muvak. You gotta, it's not enough. But there are a lot of simonim ruim. And he says, no question about it, that the sixth ruble is a simon mufak. And all the simon grew in, and together, that adds up to another simon mufak. And if we can really feel that this is the case, after Drisha Vachakir and questioning the women, and you feel that this, uh, these are the circumstances, you can absolutely be matir. And he says something very fascinating about occupation. He says that a mocha peirat is a simon gurua. But if there'd be a, a, a rare occupation, it would also be either a simon baneni, benoni, or a simon mafak. Now, how, how does that translate today? See, that's very interesting. How do you translate that today? See, in those years, imagine if the person was a medical doctor. How many Jews were medical doctors? You couldn't get into university, couldn't get into graduate school. You don't even know in America there were quotas against Jews until one of the great achievements of Albert Einstein was that it opened every medical school to a Jew. You, you, know, you know that. Before Albert Einstein there were quotas. All the smart Jewish boys were running to Guadalajara, were running to Mexico to study. Couldn't get into medical school. So it's interesting. Today already, Guy was a medical doctor, so what? There are one million Jewish medical doctors out there. Half of them were a key part. Guy's a computer programmer. What about today a rocket scientist? Uh, that already, a rocket scientist? How many rocket scientists do you know? Interesting. Uh, who would ever dream Jews would be pilots of airplanes? Do you follow me? Fifty years ago, Imagine it comes back, this guy was a pilot. Guy had a pilot's license found on him. It's a simon mufak. Today a pilot license? It's not a simon mufak anymore. Uh, it can even be maybe a simon bainon. You understand? It's a fascinating, fascinating course. This is mamish halacha that is so flexible because of the interaction with the social reality. The guy's a, a gynecologist. you know how many Jewish boys are gynecologists? How many Jewish boys are radiologists? How many Jewish boys are in this specialty, that specialty? A banker. 
an investment broker, uh, an accountant. Today in America, if a Jew sells payrot, that would be a simon mafak. It reverses itself. And here in Israel, a mocha payrot, all right, he's one of the crowd. He's, he's a Svadi, he's in Machna Yehuda, he's in uh, Shukha Kamel, uh, whatever it is. It's fascinating, fascinating. But it passes the halacha that absolutely that you give him tzaref the shita. And, and he says, this is the way I do it. This is the way I was matia. And this is a precedent how to handle these cases. But one thing is certain. Six ruble, simon mafak. See, that's an amazing simon. That she gave him six ruble, not five, not seven. And in his book, he wrote down, my wife gave me six ruble. And in those days, evidently, six ruble was a lot of money. A lot, a lot of money. And wrote it down, kept an account, and was matil lahalacha ulamaisa, but not just matil lahalacha ulamaisa, but matir within a kuntris which he's writing on simanim and choshen mishpat, and matir as a takdim, this is a precedent, how to handle it, how to deal with it, how, how, how do you deal with it, it's fabulous, fascinating. Okay, now we come to photography. And we come back uh, to a tshuva <coughs> that I uh, quoted to you many months ago within a different context. And we come back to a new tshuva too that's overwhelming. Where, where do we have the concept of photography in chess? I mean, this is, this is amazing. Whenever a question comes up, how do we deal with the question? Where are we different uh, than the conservatives? How many of you are familiar with the conservative movement and their response, the response permitting driving to the temple on Shabbat. So here you have a response written by uh, three prominent conservative rabbis, Jacob Adler, Teddy Friedman, Jacob Agus. The chivalry appears in, uh, you can get it very easily, in the volume called Tradition and Change, edited by uh, Maya Waxman, uh, which was published under the imprint of the conservative movement. And uh, what's interesting is all three authors of this tshuva, all three were yeshiva products before they went to the seminary. Uh, Teddy Friedman learned and with, when I spoke about uh, the East Broadway and the kids playing in front of the yeshiva. Teddy Friedman was one of those kids playing in front of the yeshiva on East Broadway. Jacob Adler, his father was the mashkiach in, in MTJ, in Metif Torah, Tiferet Yerushalayim, when Rabbi Moshe came from Europe and joined MTJ, Rabbi Jacob Adler's father was the Mashkiach there. That's where he comes from. Jacob Begis is the story, story of all. He didn't even attend the seminary. He was the Talmud Muvhak of Rabbi Moshe Salavechik and Rabbi Dove Revel, Rabbi Bernard Revel, 1930s, brilliant graduate of the yeshiva, Rabbi, when the Rav came up to Boston, Jacob Agus uh, joined him there as one of the prominent so-called, what you would call, quote-unquote, modern Orthodox, or at that time, English-speaking Orthodox rabbis in Boston. And over the years, Jacob Agus became the, the greatest reformer among them. He became a Reconstructionist, while the other two remained center of the road conservative. 
And if you read their response, permitting driving to Shul on Shabbat, they say, how could, I'm quoting now verbatim, how could driving be permitted if it didn't exist at the time the Torah was given? That's word by word. And that's the antithesis of everything we understand as the halachic process. What do we call the halachic process? Halachic process? What do we call it? For us, we have to find the precedent. Once you find the precedent, then we see what we can apply. So now I ask you, was there photography in the Gemara? Yes. First of all, there's photography you all know of. Kiddush um, HaKadosh. Right or wrong? Rabbi Gamliel had in his attic all types of charts. And he would show the Edom, Kazeritim, Kazeritim. But there's something even much more than that. The Gemara Nida, Taf Chaf Amibet. Nehmanati Shaloma Kazeriti, the Avadativ. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's a Sugi with Nida. Look. And I have to tell you, I know the theory. I never, I don't want to, I never passed because I, did, I never did Shemesh Halachalamaisan. I never, never in the rabbinate that I ever get a Shiloh with us. I never did Shemesh. You have to do Shemesh. But Tamni, the, the various colors. And certain colors are Mutta, certain colors are Rasa. The problem is when you get colors of varying shades and you can't tell whether it's black or red or yellow. You understand what I'm saying? Yellow would be Mutta, black or red would be, would, would tend to, would, would be Asa. And you just can't tell. So, they talk about in the Gemara, a woman, how does she come to the Rav? The woman brings the Eid Bidika, and she shows the Rav. I can tell you, I can tell you about Rav Salavechik, I heard this from Tova, that women used to wrap up the Eid Bidika in plastic, and leave it in their mailbox, with a phone number, and the Rebbitson would call the woman and tell her what the Rav Paskin. Or they would leave it in the mailbox with a Teva Doa, and the Rav would answer to the P.O.B. box. So, uh, yeah, this is the Gemara in Brachot with David HaMelech, uh, Shilya, right? That David HaMelech called himself a Chassid because he dirtied his hands to be matter a woman Labala. So, the Gemara talks in terms of a woman lost the eight she lost it. So she comes to the post the Rav, and the Rav pulls out a chart and shows the colors. And she says, This is what I saw, but I lost. It's that color. And then the Rav Paskins, and she's believed. Rav says, And she's believed. Ah, what do you see from there? Photography is reliable. What's the difference between a picture or between a photograph? She's believed. You see, the din of, of is entirely dependent upon the woman, the Safrala, she. She has total nemanat. You have to depend upon your wife here. So, the Rav takes out pictures, she points, she says, that's the color. That's the color? Yes, I lost the Yed Bidika. She's believed. But what we want here is not the nemanat. That's the Sugyur in, in Nida to show her nemanat. What we see here is a precedent to be matir through photography. We see that the dam, you depend upon a picture. You can depend upon a picture, perhaps in photography. Now, I want to say between the lines, I'm told that Rav Meshe David Tenla has shots like this that he shows to women. 
when women come to ask him a sha'ila, uh, in, 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 anyone learn with Rabbi Tamla? I mean, if you can confirm this, do they, they, they ever talk about this? This is what I'm told. If you know Rabbi Tamla's personality, it lends itself to Rabbi Tamla. In other words, if they told me the story about the face of David Lifshitz, I wouldn't accept it so readily. But about Rabbi Moshe David Tamla, Yibad Lachaim Ruchim Vatovim, I can accept it. Because Rabbi Tamla is a scientist, you have to know Rabbi Tamla. Rabbi Tamla is, uh, is a, uh, he, he, I, I always say about Rabbi Tendler, had he stayed in one field, he would have won the Nobel Prize. You understand? Had he remained a Rebbe, he would be the God Hadda. Had he remained a biologist, he would have been the God Hadda in biology. But he always was in two fields. Uh, right, which may be the curse of YU, the curse of modernity, that we always have to be in two fields. And uh, I'm not saying this with any critical sense at all. I'm just calling your attention to a reality. Uh, but they say that he has charts and he shows it to the women. Now, if this is the case, so you have a precedent and, and you see this is the way halacha works. It's not a question that they didn't have photography at the time of Hazal. I'm not a communist. Those of you who know communism, the communist rewrote history. They invented everything. Thomas Edison never existed. Communism, the Russians brought every gift to the world. And that was communism, if you're familiar with what went on under Lenin and Stalin and, and, and the revamping and the re-education and Khrushchev and Brezhnev. It's unbelievable. I'm not a fool. I'm not rewriting history. That photography didn't exist until 100, 120, 130 years ago, I know. But the precedent is there. We found it. That's what halach is all about. No one says they want to drive cars then. But the concepts of combustion, the concepts of fire, the concepts of makabapatish, when you develop a concept of driving and shabbat, you have a lot of them lochat involved. And then you see what's involved in driving. And then you see these malachat are there. Vat malachat, tolda, the gezeira, the rabbanan. You know, everything has halachic implications, obviously. But driving a car to Shabbos, you probably don't have a greater example of an Isidore writer than driving a car with, with many, many, many Isidore involved there, right? Uh, have a burning and, 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 and Makabapatish. I mean, many Isidore there, right? The boner. It's, a, it's right down the line. But God forbid just to say they didn't have cars, so it has to be mutter. They didn't have photography, so we can't analyze it. No, this is the analysis. That's the source. That's the circuit. Now, the case is interesting. A man uh, uh, was missing from his house. Uh, it doesn't say he evidently uh, had mental problems. Evidently, I'm reading into the chiva, but this is what it seems. He jumped from the Thames, from one of the bridges. That If you're familiar with England, England London, London is surrounded by the Thames River. There are many bridges going across the Thames River. Endless people have committed suicide throughout the ages, jumping off a bridge into the Thames River. So they uh, search for the bodies. Now I'll, read, I'll read the question in a moment, and uh, this is modern technology already. You're in the, uh, uh, let me just figure out, Talal, so you're in the 1870s. You're in the 1870s. 1870s already they already know photography, even in a primitive stage. So the London police for Scotland Yard, I mean Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, you're dealing here with, with, with an advanced police force. This is the modern police force until today. We tremble when we mention Scotland Yard. 
So they already, whenever a body was pulled out of the water, they took a picture. And this was a revolutionary question. And this woman, searching for a husband, knows he was in London, had gone to London, might also be medical help. And she looks at this picture. This is my husband. Now, what's fascinating here is who they turn to. And this is epic making. Anyone who deals with photography, these two trivet, every scholar, every research person quotes these trivet. It's epic making because we don't find photography before these two trivet. That they turn to Rabbi Yitzhak is not surprising. As I mentioned to you, he was the Posek Hadar, he was the chief rabbi of Kavna. Kavna was the most prestigious rabbinical position in all of non-Hasidic Eastern Europe. Can anyone tell me why Kavna? What question should you ask me right away? Gentlemen, shoot a question at me. Vilna, thank you. Vilna did not have a chief rabbi from the time of the Vilna Gona. At the time of the Vilna Gona, Rav Shmua was the chief rabbi of Vilna. When Rav Shmuel died, the Machloket over his success was so great that the Vilna Balabatan ruled there never going to be a chief rabbi. And at that time, the Vilna Gona was sitting because he wouldn't take any official position. Never again had a chief rabbi. They had Dayanim, an Avbeitin, a Dayan, a Marit Sadek, a Magid Mesharim. Dayanim, each one had a different responsibility. It was never again a chief rabbi. I don't want to go into more details. Those of you who want to go more, Rakafadaron, Chelik Bet, in the Hebrew section, my piece on, on the Rebbe and his husband, Rabbi Chaim Meiser, I go into the whole background of the whole Machleket over the chief rabbin in Vilna in the, in the early part of this century. So it's a fascinating piece, and I'm proud of that piece of scholarship, and without it, you can't understand the Rebbe's husband, Rabbi Chaim Meiser. My tragedy today is no one reads Hebrew. So whenever someone comes to me, you know, about the, the Jewish observer, time and again they publish a little bit of a translation of that Hezbet to show the Rebbe was once an Agudist. No one understands, you have to read, you have to know the facts, what went on in Vilna, what the Rebbe was talking about, to understand the Hezbet properly. There's no chief rabbi. If that's the case, the second Rajas community was Kovna. And Kovna already, Kalnaus, or Kovna, had a chief rabbi, and that was Rabbi Yitzchak Inspector. So, that is not surprising. I'll tell you what is surprising. They also turned to the Nitziv of Velazhin. And that shows you what I've told you so many times. Before Reb Chaim Shita conquered the world, the great Rosh Yeshiva were the rabbis in the city in which the Yeshiva was located, and they were great poskim, in addition to being great Rashi Shiva. Rabbi Chaim Velashin was the Rav of Velashin. The Nitzv was the Rav of Velashin. And the Nitzv was the greatest Rashi Shiva of the 19th century, when all is said and done, he had greater commitment, and more commitment than anyone, than more than Rabbi Chaim, and more than Rabbi Tzil Velashin, and more than Rabbi Chaim Velashin. And the Nitzv, the descriptions of Velashin under the Nitzv are legendary. And the Talmud and the Gedolei, Gedolei, Gedolei Israel that that Velazhin turned out under the Nitziv, I mean, it's it's it fills an entire uh, bookcase of art scroll volumes, and then beyond that, Mizrahi volumes that they don't publish as well. And every Gadol you can mention, that's what Hasidic Rabbeim, everyone learned in Velazhin from Rav Yitzchak, Cohen Cook, all the way to to the Grand. In addition to being the great Rosh Yeshiva, it was a great Posek. 
and I'll tell you what we lack, and I throw this out, I, you know, I, I, I hope I'm not deluding myself, but sometimes I shiver and shake when I see your brilliance, and concomitantly, no, just a drop, concomitantly, your inability to handle texts. But what we lack today is a definitive doctoral biography on the Nitzif. We lack it. That's what I wanted to do. That was my original idea when I came into the graduate school of faculty and I proposed, I want to write on the Nitzif. And they said to me, they're going to think it over, come back two weeks later, made an appointment, and then they said to me, we liked your idea, it's a fine idea, but uh, we have something else for you. And that's the whole saga with Bernard Revel, which changes my life. But a woman in Israel did a master's at the Hebrew U, Hannah Katz, the daughter of Rav Fisher, one of the, one of the Fisher brothers, Gedola Yisrael. But in her master's, she didn't handle the response literature of the Nitzvah. Evidently, it was beyond her abilities to handle the response literature. And that's what's lacking. And you know what's amazing about the Nitzvah? He got questions from all over the world, including America. I always say, you can see what a posik he was, what a magnet he was. That in Cincinnati, it's one of, well, it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's Kalikal of Yudzayim, one of the most fascinating questions ever, the Cincinnati question. That in Cincinnati, uh, there was a big, big Rav, Rav Gershon Lisa, Orthodox Rav, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio at that time. And a Balabas made some heavy money, it's out of the 1870s. And he donates it in Kodesh to the Shul, Sifrei Torah. Remember I told you this, and he puts in one tonight. That when they're ready to dedicate it, Sunday morning he's going to make a brunch, and before the brunch, they have to make a prayer service in the shul, and call him to the Torah. And he's ready to make the brachat, and, and this guy is putting in tens of thousands of dollars, 1870 money. And he wants to create a Torah, and the poor rat, you know, he writes to the tzivah, and the chip is amazing, because you see the tzivah writing back, I can't believe this is, this is mitzvah baba veya. What human being would want to do this? What Torah Jew? He wants to do a mitzvah, he wants to dedicate an Oren Kodesh. How can you have a creed of Torah, Shalokatik and Chazal? How can you make bichat a Torah, Shalokatik and Chazal? And, and he's writing to the tzivah, writes to him, talk with him, plead with him, explain to him, it's brachat levatala. So it reflects on the Nitziv, his naivete. It reflects on America. It reflects on an American Balabas. Let me tell you, Avatarin, that you'll be happy you walked in now. Rabbi Revel used to say this. An American Balabas, when he gives money, I heard this from Mrs. Revel, Zichronet Tzadeket Levracha, where Josh comes from, is from Mrs. Revel comes from. I heard this, I heard this from, from Mrs. Revel, that Rabbi Revel used to say, COD. A Balabas says, COVID on delivery. Right? You know what COD is. You know? Do you know? Your generation doesn't even know that. We used to, order, today you have a visa card. When I was growing up, you ordered something, so when it came into the post office, cash, you had to pay them cash, that they remitted, kept up and remitted to the person who sent it. COVID on delivery. Go and explain that to the NSIP. But the NSIP was a focal post sake. So the question comes up simultaneously to Gedoli Yisrael at the same time. Rabbi Yisrochan Inspector, it's Ein Yitzchak Kerek Aleph, Suman Lamed Aleph, and in the Nitziv, it's Meshav Dava, Kerek Aleph, Suman Chav Gimel. 
Meshiv Dava Evan Esa Siman Chav Gimel simultaneously comes up at exactly the same time. And here is person was missing a long time and his wife knew he had gone to London she went to the police and started asking and they said yes we fished the body out of the Pins River and they showed them they showed her the picture of the body that was taken before he was buried three days after they pulled him out of the water you understand what I'm saying now? Three days after he was pulled out of the water. Why did they take a picture? You see, right away, the Rebbe Schlon has to explain. Today, you don't have to explain. Today, you take for granted. I, I told you, in my shul in Maplewood, uh, Mr. Donner was our photographer. Why? He was the photographer for the police. He had a terrific camera. You have no idea the equipment this guy had. Herb Donner. And he was, whenever there was a car crash, a murder, a rape, whatever you had, they would call him out to take the picture. So for the shul, he was our balabas, he was our official photographer. He t- I still have pictures until today, beautiful pictures. He took of me as a young kid, the dedication, you know, it's a different lifetime. But but today you wouldn't ask. In those days, the Rebbe Sulchan is writing, why did they take a picture? They have special people appointed to search the rivers after people who drowned. And the minute they find the body, they take a picture. In addition, they found on the dead body a wallet, a key, and they showed it to the woman. The woman immediately recognized the picture, recognized the wallet, recognized the key. This is the key to his private room in London. He always had it with him. They showed the picture to other people. And they said, yes, this is his picture, this is what he looked like. And then she drew a picture, what he looked like in life. And, Amazing. Amazing story. And here we have it for the first time. Now, number one, you see, there's a problem here with the picture. Why is there a problem with the picture? According to the Mishnah, we all know it. We've said it a thousand times over. You can identify a person's visage. How many hours do you have? 72 hours. So here he drowned. Days later you pulled the body out. And even after you pulled the body out, it's now beyond 72 hours from the time you pulled the body out of the water. However, we, I want to tell you something. And this comes up in the trip. I'm just summarizing it. This concept that you can't uh, identify a body after 72 hours is only Dinder Rabbanan. In other words, there's no din there right here. It's just common sense. The rabbi said, Ad Khan is the Gvo. As a matter of fact, uh, where does this come up in Jewish history? You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Where does this come up in Jewish history? Well, no, anyone know what I'm about to say? 72 hours. No? Moshe Mendelssohn. Gentlemen, if today a tremendous fight rages, in why you, a special shechter of Moshe Davatanlach, have slugged it out in public, how do you determine death? Brain or heart? Right or wrong? What function of the body has to cease for a person to be dead? And if you talk about the uh, heart functions, there's a tremendous problem because a person can be clinically dead and, and, and you can't take out the, the, the organs, can't do any transplants. If you wait for, 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 uh, for, uh, for the other systems to stop as well. Now, 
Why is there this tremendous machloket? Why not commit a person studies dead? Because evidently there are people who have been clinically dead who woke up and walked away. Could be it's one out of a million, but if a guy wakes up and walks away, you got a real problem here. That was the whole story with the sheep they slaughtered. Remember what went on in Jerusalem with Shlomo and Orbach? The pregnant sheep or calf, whatever it was. What happened Mendelssohn? The whole literature on Mendelssohn. Here you have Moshe Mendelssohn. Tremendous Talmud Chacham. Great grandson of the Ramah. And in his time, he comes out of the ghetto, becomes enlightened. Still from, no question about it. In his time, how could you tell a person was dead? No, how does the Gemara describe a person being dead? How does the Halacha, Yeridea, put a feather under his nose? Am I right or wrong, Avi? And if the feather shakes, he's alive. No, what would you say, Gershon? Not exactly a very accurate way of determining a person's death. Right or wrong. So what happened in Mendelssohn's time? Turned out there were one or two funerals where in the middle of the funeral, as the Jews were carrying the coffin to the burial, there was a bang on the coffin and the dead man stood up. Believe me, when that happens, a number of people had heart attacks and dropped it on the spot. But the dead guy jumped out and he was alive and kicking. So it was a terrible problem. How do you determine a person is dead and not just in a coma, not just in a stoop, uh, that he's really dead. They had that problem then. If we still have a problem today with all our sophisticated equipment, Allah had come So the enlightened Gentiles suddenly decreed you have to wait 72 hours before burial. And Moses Mendelssohn agreed and he cited the Mishnah. In other words, this concept of 72 hours shows us that until 72 hours, death has not really set in. It's not total, not complete. After 72 hours, you can identify the person, he's dead, he's gone, he's a stiff. No two ways about it. And that was a tremendous conflict. And Mendelssohn was, that's the only concept the Rabbanim came out against him. The Rabbanim fought him bitterly. The Rabbanim declared, we should allow Jewish burial to be influenced by non-Jewish considerations. And I have to tell you, in my lectures in Mendelssohn, I'm not exactly ashamed of those lectures. I consider them among the most insightful lectures I've ever given. As trouble as I haven't given them in years, but they're very important lectures. In my lectures in Mendelssohn, I developed the, the idea that why you people would support Mendelssohn today. Because it's science, it makes sense. And Rabbi Shalom, if, if I can paraphrase it, better to delay a thousand bodies, 72 hours, than to bury one person alive. What's the Sheila here? You follow me, David? So, I'm not going to come out and criticize Mendelssohn. I explained. He was caught between two worlds. He appreciated science and understood. All right, the other Rabbanim said, the Halacha says, the feather test, the feather test is it. Uh, I'll tell you, there's another fact here, which I've often said. It could very well be that when they immerse the body in mikvah, they could tell right away if there were no bubbles, it's also a sign the person is dead. You understand what I'm saying? If a person is still breathing ever so slightly, there have to be air bubbles. And we should immerse the body in mikvah. Sometimes they just pour nine kavmayim on top, so that's not really a test. 
But it could be in certain communities today in Yerushalayim, they mamish immerse the body in a mikvah when they do the tahara. So it could be that that's why the Rabbanim were, were so against Mendelssohn. But Mendelssohn, of course, was dealing with many Jews who they no longer immerse bodies in mikvah. Who knows what was happening with the fall of the ghetto. But it's a fascinating machloket. And, and, and there are inferences on that machloket on this Mishnah and to this Mishnah and from this Mishnah. But one thing is for certain, it's a dindar abana, it's not a dindar writer. It's just the halakha that the Rabbanim used common sense and said that 72 hours after that time there's no way you can identify. But look, this is what the Psalchanan and the Nitzir both say, that there are, she taught that there are certain cases where something happened. For the sake of argument, the body was in water, there were certain chemicals in the water, and these chemicals retarded the process of death in the sense that the body did not decay. And lo and behold, here you have a case where the body was in the water X number of days. They fished the body out. Three days later, they took a picture and it looked perfect. That's the person. Could be there was formaldehyde in the water. There were these chemicals. You understand? This could all happen. It's not, it's not magic here. This is not a dipic now. We're not dealing with something supernatural. By the way, I have to tell you, I've gotten reports from America. I saw him come back from America. My friend, who was just there for a week, he tells me that all that he, he has a very big business and everyone who works for him is from and most of them are Lubavitcher. He's a Lubavitcher himself and he's a tremendous businessman. He's a big heavyweight and he, I've been in his place. I mean, Mincha times, there's a 770 code. Everyone davens to learn Tanya to dab Mincha, 40, 50 people davening. And in that floor, there are two minyanim. He owns half, it's a half a city block and the Schreiber brothers own the other half a city block and the Schreiber brothers and, 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 and the Stem and Barry Lee. They're separate minyanim. It's unbelievable. They're so big that one has a minion of 50, the other has a minion of 60. It's unbelievable. And he told me, everyone, from his secretaries, based sack of girls, by Rifka girls, to his employees, to everyone, no one gives a hoot. Not at Netanya, not at Barak, not the elections, not Yeshiva boys, not the army, nothing. All they're talking about is the Dibbuk. That's all they wanted to know from him. Never. He's a guy, maybe a Lubavitcher, but he's a why you mismach as well. And he had a, you know, the Dibbuk, get them on Nishtan Lebanon. He's in a different world than the Dibbuk. But, but here we're not dealing with a Dibbuk. We're dealing with a scientific reality that it's very possible. So you fish the body out three days later, and, and you identify it, and you take a picture three days later, and here it happened that it's so clear that, see, so you know what I want to say in Ripsal Khanan and the Nitzvah, they both say the same thing. What the Mishnah means, a little lumbus here, what the Mishnah means is not that you can't identify every three days. It means it's not a chisaran that you can't identify. In other words, that's the truth of the matter. The guy was a skinny little guy when he died. You look at the body now, it's bloated. It can happen. Water, whatever happened, gases. The guy was a heavyweight guy. You look at him now, there's nothing left of him. Rick Mortis said, after three days, you just simply can't identify. It's not a chisarim. It doesn't mean this is not the guy. The guy had a hooked nose like, uh, like a hawk. Now at the end of three days, you barely see any nose. You understand? But what, what it means is, and, and this is what the Achronim say. But if a case happens where a long road that more than three days elapsed, then you can identify, particularly in this case, that you have the wallet and you have the key. And these are things that you generally are not going to lend out. Rabbi Tzchokhan is Matthew 100%.
100%. Fabulous. The key, the wallet, Simon Mufak, the photograph, Simon Mufak. Long wrote the fact that three days, he quotes the Rebbe Rabbeinu Tam, the Shittat Rabbeinu Tam, that's brought down in the Ebenezer. Unbelievable. Matila Halacha. The first time. Benetziv has exactly the same question. Now, Benetziv evidently did not admit Fulchan got the question. See, a lot of times what people do, they send the same question to a few gedolim. Even today, I would imagine the same thing happens. In America, I, you know, when we were growing up, there was only one address for Moshe Feinstein. Only one address. And Israel could probably be that someone would send to the chief rabbinate, to Rabbi Vajay Yosef, to Rabbi Yashem. Could be. Certainly in Europe, this is an example. They sent to Nitzv, they sent to Ibn Sid's amazing. He's riding the Chiva to London. And he tells the whole story. And she came to the police. They showed her the photographia with that and transliteration. Shemitma binahat pains that this man was found. They pulled him out of the water. Before they buried him, they took the picture. And he explains to her that this is the minute. You know, this time was a great shock because it could be in Valencia. No one saw a camera yet. You understand? It's the turn here, the 1870s. 1880s, whenever it was, could be in Valencia. Who the heck saw a camera? It's a great shock. You understand? It's, it's, you know, it's, he has to explain why they do it. And this is their minhag. And, and, and this is the chok. This is the law in London. Whoever's found there, they don't know who he is. You, 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 you take his, his picture and through that, you know who he is. And the woman says, this is my husband. And anyone who knows him says, this is my husband. And she brings a picture of him during his lifetime. It's exactly the Mitzvah case, a thousand percent. And it was three days after they took him out of the water, they took the, uh, the police station. And she gets back from the police department. They show her what they found on the body. And it's once again the ring and the description of the ring and the key. And she recognizes the key. She recognizes the the ring and says, "That's my husband's." Now he goes into photography and he says, "It absolutely is a Simon Mufak." He says, "It's very true that if someone killed, you see, you see things." Brings something very interesting here. Brings a Gemara in Cholin, Daf Sadi Vavam, and all of that. Very interesting. He says, it's true. Imagine we had a video camera. Uh, by the way, Israel is shaking. It's, it's unbelievable. We have so much murder here. It's frightening. So many women are being killed by their husbands, and if the husband said, gentleman, he kills himself too. We now have, uh, could you imagine what's going on? Two murders of women in the last few days, but one husband was a gentleman, he blew his brains out too. But, you know, it's a terrible world. It's just the world. We've lost all Jewish values. It's just beyond. We, we commit adultery. We kill. We rob. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, he says as follows. Imagine if in the Kolel, I'll give an example with the Kolel. Imagine in the Kolel, um, the boys, of, and, and the, play, the police plead, and on the radio, if you hear your neighbors fighting, if you hear a woman being shouted at, inform the police immediately. Imagine the kollel, a couple is fighting. 
So the boys, I don't use the color, I'll use a different example. Imagine in Hebrew University dormitory if they have married people, if they have such a thing. Little apartments. Couple is fighting. So they're very chayshish, this is not good. So they use modern technology, they put a video camera in like in a bank to watch that couple. And lo and behold, the guy takes a hatchet and he makes believe it's Friday afternoon in Mecca and he chops off his wife's head. And they have it on video. So the Nitziv says it's true that you wouldn't execute the guy. In order to execute a person, Mitzad Dalad Mitzad Beitan I'm talking about, I mean, there's a different, you know, there's execution, there's a different kind of execution, what you call uh, a king, you know, on the hill, you know, I'm talking about Hulchak Malachim, that the king has established his authority, that's a different concept, that's, that's the din and din and the there's nothing to do with Dalit Mitat Baitan. That's why today, if let's say I'm ruling Israel and I decide to execute a few hundred uh, people who I don't like to dispatch them, it could be I'm allowed, it's not a problem, even though we don't have uh, Dalit Mitat Baitan. You know, there's a whole debate here when the state was established, should we have a death penalty? And we don't have a death penalty. The only death penalty in Israel is for treason and for Nazi war crimes, crimes against the Jewish people. Outside of that, outside of Eichmann, there's nobody. Am I right, Jack? Outside of Eichmann, nobody was executed in the state of Israel. Uh, so, all right, could very well be that you need a death penalty, not but to establish fear, People, and that's the din, the Rambam says, by Melech. It's based upon the Gemara, of course, in Sanhedrin, that he can kill many people in one day, he can hang their bodies for 30 days to frighten people, to establish this kingdom. That's a different story. But Balad Mipad Baitan, the fact that you had a video, would not be enough to execute him. You have to see it, with raid him, etc. However, the fact is that with the video alone, in my example, you would certainly know who the killer is. You can't execute him. You could use kippah, whatever it is, the other methods uh, of punishment. But when it comes to identifying, there's no question that a picture is a simon mufak. And he says, there are no two people alive that look exactly the same. And um, the picture, simon mufak. I, the fact that it's three days later, there he develops the lumdus that I developed a few minutes ago, that this is only a dindara banan, this is because we're worried that his face may have changed, but where you have a case where the face didn't change, and they absolutely can recognize him, this is 100% a mifat, even though it was taken three days later. But I'll tell you that's very fascinating here in his shiva. This is Meredith, and I, and, I, and I don't know how to interpret this. He describes the key from London. And he goes into a long explanation what the key is. And he explains that in London, people lock their apartments. And you have a lock. And you turn the lock. And no two keys are the same. And this key is something you keep with you that you will never give to anybody else. What do we see from that? What do we see? In Eastern Europe, people didn't have locks on their apartment. 
And I can tell you, when I came in Aliyah, the old timers swore to me. And you got to remember, every previous immigration laughs at the new immigration. And old timers would tell me, I'm quoting you word by word what I heard. They said, you could leave a suitcase in front of your house. Come back a week later, no one would have touched that suitcase. Till they said, the Moroccans came. That's when thievery began. We never locked our doors. When I came in Aliyah, you never locked your door by day. Only by night. I still, for years, we never locked our door. I still know people don't lock their doors by day. At night you locked your door. Nowadays I lock my door by day, by night. It's a different, different ballpark. But what do you see from that mentality? That what we take for granted, locks and cylinders, and, and now Israel developed special locks, and then the Rav Bariach, and you turn one turn and six different locks, whatever it is. Whatever Israel developed, this is technology, and today they have locks that, that, that work with codes and identities and numbers. I mean, there's no end to it. But what do we see from this? We see that in Europe, this concept did not exist. It's unbelievable. See, that's from the Chiva. A side gift from the Chiva as he talks about it. And, 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 and the description, the description What's he talking about? What was the an idiot? What's he telling me? What a key is? What is, he, what is he being shared that you don't have another one like it? You lock the door when you walk out. It's unbelievable. He's telling us an unbelievable story. And see, this, this is fabulous. This is fabulous. This, I thank the Rebani Shalom, that when I went to Bernard Revel Graduate School, Rabbi Lewin, the revered Rabbi Dr. Isaac Lewin, taught responsible literature. He was the first one to introduce me. Took a course with him, the Polish Achronim. And I, I'll never forget how he showed us in a tshuva there is an entire world there between the lines, beyond the halacha. You can recreate life. Here you have a proof that they, this is an, an irrefutable proof that they didn't use locks in Eastern Europe. And here we're talking about Agunat, we're talking about the Nitziv, between the lines. Now I have to tell you, this is Reb Chaim Soloveitchik's specialty. Reb Chaim, in the course he taught at the Hebrew U, so he published a Targil. I have it, it's uh, unbelievable for Soloveitchik to publish a Targil, how to deal with Rishonim, how to deal with Shavat. I have it. And he has, like you have the Mishnah Vru in English, where it's uh, out, you know, it, it has in, what would you call that, where it's colored in more. That's to show you that matches up with the Hebrew. He has there, he colors in what he wants you to look at. And I looked, I wanted to see, because I was the first one ever to teach response literature that I know of in modern times. I began what I'm teaching now, 1971 in Michlala and second year BMT. So I wanted to see what Chaim was doing. And I take a look, and that Tagil is exactly what I'm telling you now. 
way he wasn't interested so much in the halacha because it's a secular environment, it's the Hebrew University, the people studying with him, and I just did in halacha. But he showed that you could recreate life through the Chuvat. And it goes on and on. You see, because may, may I paraphrase Aaron Rakefet? There's no life without halacha, and there's no halacha without life. The response to literature is a mirror of life. And this is a magnificent example. And this is what one can do. This is doctorates that have been done over the years. This is Chachmat Yisrael, what I say on its finest level. I'm not overly impressed with Chachmat Yisrael when they start cutting up Gemaras and pasting them together. You know what I'm saying? If you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Because when all is said and done, how do you know you pasted them together correctly? You understand? Who gives you the chutzpah to say you have the Gemara pasted together better than the Vilna Gong? Better than Reb Chaim or better than Reb Chaim It's chutzpah. But, but here what you're doing is beautiful. You're recreating worlds. You're taking this doctorate done on the Chuvat HaRivivaj, someone did in the Rajbah. You're recreating worlds from the response literature. And here you have a magnificent example right from the Nitziv. But it's beautiful. Shows you life. And it makes you think. You have to pause. You have to think. In America, people go to sleep. God, I once opened up a door to pick up a paper. Fifty alarms went off. You know, I didn't know how to turn off the alarm. I didn't realize there's an alarm in the house. And I got up Sunday morning. It was a little early. They go to Minion later. There and and replenish alarm. It's like I stepped on a, on an electric chair. Booze and schmooze, and I woke everyone up. I was so embarrassed. And 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 replenish alarm. You understand? In America, locks and schmucks and and what they have on the doors and alarms and low low It's a reflection of modern life. I'm sure already in Israel you have many m- many homes that have this already. So here you have an example. Okay, let me go one step further and end off the class today. What was amazing about Yitzchok Hanan? And we're running off Yitzchok Hanan now. His dedication to Agunat knew no bounds. When I cried in my Hesped for Joe Imagino, when I spoke about that terrible moment in my life, and it's a real description. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, uh, it was not my imagination at work, and I wasn't uh, cl- uh, making it any any more uh, Broadway-like than it really was. It was a real description of a terrible moment in my life. So uh, the women started cursing out the rabbin and they have Rabbi Shochan Inspector. The man wrote so many trivet, was matter so many aguna, but had the guts to say, this is a precedent. All future poskim, do what I'm doing. I was matter a, a thousand women in my lifetime, but his precedents were matter tens, hundreds of thousands. One of those that were close to him was... Uh, Rabbi Moshe Heskin, he wrote Kilkalat Shviat. He later comes from uh, an Aliyah, part of the Yerushalayim community, part of that Aliyah of great Tamini Chachamim at the turn of the century, a little afterwards, who were, who were not official Zionists, but great Zionists. So he describes another story, very similar to the story that um, uh, Rabbi Tzolchanan's son described. And he describes the following story. One week before he died, he was in the house of Sulchanan, he was taking care of him, sleeping there. One week before he died, suddenly in the middle of the night, and I'll, I'll give you the source for this in a moment, he describes that Sulchanan wakes up in the middle of the night, gets dressed, washes his hands, 
and goes to his desk, takes out a few sperm, and he turns to Rav Heskin and says, Baruch Hashem, the Aguna is permitted. Next, went back to sleep, and the next morning wrote what was to be the last trip of his life, permitting the Aguna. And that's an amazing story, which says it all. It's exactly the same like the story I told many months ago, or very similar, where Rabbi Zulchanan has gone to sleep, his son tells him, go to sleep, it's already one o'clock, you're not well, you're, you're aged, and how he gets up an hour later, and a similar story, and Rabbi Zulchanan says to his father, what are you getting up for? Why can't you sleep? And he says, the aguna in my teshin, in my pocket, doesn't give me rest. Now, you find the beautiful description of this. I'm going, to, I'm going to mention a sefer that you've never heard of before. You know, heard this description from Rabbi Heskin, one of the great giants of Torah. Thank you on the Israeli scene, Reb Shlomo Yosef Zebin. All of you know the great Reb Shlomo Yosef Zebin that I consider one of my great privileges that I knew him in life. Somebody else of Zevin, I mean, how can you describe a man? This was a Chabadnik of the old school. This was a Jew who was Bucky and all of Shas and Paiskim knew everything by heart. This was a Jew that worked out a new system of writing halacha in a popular fashion, in an organized fashion, a scientific fashion that colors all our study until today, all this firm we use. And this was a Jew who was a great Zionist, the great Mizrachiite, everything combined in one. Somebody else of Zevin. Now you're familiar with some of his writings, Maudim Bahalacha. You're familiar with uh, perhaps Sipuri Hasidim, Ishim Vishitat. What you don't know is there are three volumes where they collected all his articles that appeared over the decades in the various uh, papers and magazines and journals in which he published. What I'm quoting now is from Sofrim Usvarim, the volume that deals with Trivat, he has an entire entry on Rabbi Yitzchokhan Inspector, Agunat B'Trivat Rabbi Yitzchokhan Inspector, and I'm quoting from page 173. So, what do you see here? The dedication, overwhelming. The Mesirat Nefesh, no way, no way that you can minimize it. The love, women, agunat. But what can we do? This is what I should have said at that event I described to my husband's for match. I should have gotten up and I should have said, my dear friends, this is a divine law. And if you believe in Torah, you cannot tamper with a divine law. And the divine law is the man must give a get. And I didn't do it. I didn't have the guts to do it because I'd done it once before. I did it once before. And some people applauded me and some people cursed me until today. I did it in 1994 at a no-you convention where I spoke and presented all my papers and then there was a Sunday morning I was free. And I decided to attend. You had many sessions going. And I decided to attend the session on women's problems. Of course, I've taught so many women over the years. I was curious to see what's going on. I'm one of the pioneers in teaching women. And I come into that session and suddenly I notice, Jack knows, I was one of two men with over a hundred women. And I couldn't believe my ears. A woman judge gets up and she curses out the two men who are present. We don't want, we're sisters, we don't need any brothers here. 
Well, I stayed on despite the fact I was maledicted. And then the session began and the words that were said, the attack on Torah. And then at the end, I raised my hand and the chair lady had no choice. Rudolph, her three daughters were my students. I asked for the floor. And I got up and I said, look, I'm sitting here from Jerusalem. But I can't agree with these words. And I explained, this is a divine law. And I thought I had done beautifully. And then I found out, yes, Shoshana Shechter, Rebson Shechter, Heshi's wife, Shechter's wife. For her, I was a hero. For Mrs. Dina Dykeman, I was a hero. For Rebson Emanuel Holz, I was a hero. Then I found out later from my Machatonim, they had friends there from Tina, came home, Yomachutin, that narrow-minded, right-wing reactionary, the chutzpah of that man, to get up, to speak, to ask for the floor, to contradict this famous woman judge, they took me through the coals. So when I sat there at that moment and I had to make a decision, I didn't know what to do. It was a terrible feeling. So I chose Shevi al But I didn't tell you my husband, Joe DiMaggio, is that one week later, at a barbecue in Queens with the Queens Mafia, i.e. the Queens Rabbinate, with all the Rabbanim there, a prominent Rabbison says to me, Aaron, in front of a hundred people, I heard you're in favor of Rabbi Rachman's proposal. I said, what? Oh, I heard you were there and they, they, they spoke about it. And she mentioned she already knew the names of the rabbis that spoke about it and you didn't say, boo. And boy, I live with that heartache and dilemma until this very moment. But it's a false charge. If we accept Torah, there's a Torah system. There are many halachat in the Torah that we can't understand. If anyone can explain to me in the Western context, yibam, yivama. We can understand it. It's a difficult concept. We can explain it. We can we can deal with it, Rav Hirsch. But really, in our world, Yibam, don't understand it. It's not, not practical. We don't have more than one wife. What's going on here? This is it. You have to have Chalitza. You can't remarry without it. It's a divine law. And if you start cutting out divine laws, you all know what happens. Look how the reform movement began. They didn't want to say you can put them twice. I have it in my book. The Rav tells a joke with Shaddao, with Shmuel David Lutzato, who was a firm guy here with his comment on the reform movement. But it's, it's a fact. The reform movement began. They didn't want to say you can put them twice. No, we all know what happened as a result. The conservative movement and my husband and Joe DiMaggio, I recreated for you how the conservative movement began in America. Who would dream what would come out of taking down a machitza and having men and women sit together, which the truth is, they're right. There's not one word in Shulchan Aruch HaRachayim that says you have to have the machitza in a shul when you daven. They made a very good case, a strong case. No, go disprove them. All right, I can disprove them, but still, it's a strong case. And look what happened. So this is Rips Lachanan. have to bow and have respect for him. So I reiterate. What did we do today? We finished that Simonim. Simonim grew him. Uh... What I said about the circumstantial evidence, that whole talk about the cow, the rub, the trafe, the kosher, the facts, but he it's, that, that's it, that's the heart of it. Hakol ke'enei We went into photography, two tremendous trivat, epic making, pace setting, one, the Nitziv, one, the Yitzchak, no one in the world disagrees. The Gemara Nida 
Kizeraiti Vavadati, it's a merit Gemara, the charts of Rabbi Gamliel, but that's not as important as the Gemara Nita, because the Gemara Nita is Mamishtinah Manit of the Isha, and we believe her 1,000%, you understand, and you're mother a woman Labala on the basis of those charts. Very important. We said a few words about Reb Zulchan, and I gave you a source from Shlomo Zalman, of Reb Shlomo Yosef Zevin, a Meredic source. By the way, all his writings are fabulous. There's, there's, there's Le'or Halacha, there's a volume that you're probably not even familiar with. The essays in there are just Meratzenegra. One is more fabulous than the other. It's called Le'or He deals with Shylak al Halacha. The whole concept of a pound of flesh. Because Reb Zevin, as I told you, a new literature, it was a very open new sign. Oh, what a, a Weltgone, a world mind, world class. And he deals, he deals there with, with Shailaka Pialacha, among other topics. It's a meridic volume, La Halacha. Uh, gentlemen, my dear students, where do we go from here? Number one, next week is a $20,000 class on the IOU. It's the final class in this course for the year. And I'm dealing with... Uh, one other source from Vitzelchan Inspector, which sort of gives you everything I've said this last 20 minutes. She'll give it to you in writing. And then we go into the Yom Kippur War. And that is an unbelievable topic with Heter Aguna. I don't know how much we'll finish. So what we don't finish this year with the Yom Kippur War, we open up next year. Tomorrow be Rat Hashem. I have a lot planned. I can tell you in advance... I'm hitting an all cylinders. I want to finish out Shlichut Adam and I want to go in as a fallout from the Rub Shear. I want to deal with cover that's going to be in the Shiraman. I don't want to deal with it on a practical level. One of the great problems we have now in the Torah community and time allowing, I want to deal with Aaron Rakefet and I want to bring to life the Alta from Slabatka. And I want brought into the class tomorrow to give living testimony Better alive, Stuart Ocean. Who can drag him in? Daron, you're big and strong. Brought in. The Hashkafa tomorrow is one of a kind. I have thrown down the gauntlet and Ian Pear, who knows how to preach and speak. We're going to hear a great preacher handle the Ben Harasha. And I want to know Ian Pear's reaction if he would have handled the Ben Harasha like that great speaker, and then I'll tell you the way I would have handled it as a Talmud of the Rav. That's tomorrow. Next week in the Rav's class, I don't say a word till the Hashkafa. The shear is being given, and keep it a secret, a person who knew the Rav from the 1930s on his recollections. He knew the Rav from RCA the great Rabbi Israel Miller via tape in a special interview. And it's going to be amazing for you to see his description of the Rav. And you'll see it's exactly the Rav that I knew, but he knows him from the RCA vantage point. And some of the stories he tells are fabulous. The one with the medical school, I knew that. I knew that. You have it here. Fabulous. Then I end off the year, a Rebbe, his students, my most famous students, they caused me such heartache. We come back to some of the sad themes of the last two years. Bring in Ephraim Goldberg to next week's Hashkafa. Better alive. Tell Yochebet, better alive. Bring her in too. Darn it. My students. End notes. Ah, oh, then our new Rebbe, Hasidus.
What a picture. I just look at that picture and it gives me life. And we haven't solved all the problems, but we're alive and kicking. Gentlemen, I can tell you according to what I've been promised, by Wednesday I'll have the pages for the third time. I'm working on the glossary, but that goes at the end of the second volume. When I see the pages, you'll be able to tell by my face at the end of this week whether it's Rosh Hashanah of this year or Rosh Hashanah of the Chinese leap year of the dinosaur. All I can say is I pray and I hope it's Rosh Hashanah of this year. I started in 87. We're heading into the year 2000. 13 years are enough. And that's exactly what I owe Jacko with a 12 shekel after we finished all the cheshbonet and Danny Yalkutz getting me Rabbi Lichtenstein's two sperm of shirm that I wanted desperately on Kajim Vitarat. In killing it again, in health and happiness, Tasvadanya. Thank you very much.